live from the Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar inside Treasure Island, it's Cofield and Company. Adams Family Edition of Cofield and Company. Golden Circle at the TI for a Vegas Golden Knights watch party. Adam Candy, Adam Island, otherwise known as Adam Hill. Uh, we learned something about his coverage skills here today that at least I didn't know uh, before. Ari back at our Finley Toyota Studios, ready to jump into the three. It's time for the three, presented by Nova Home Loans. Call now at 877-700-NOVA. Fans have slowly but surely been welcomed back into T-Mobile Arena as the Vegas Golden Knights have played in front of 25% crowds and it's growing from there. We know that 100% capacity will be permitted by the governor at most places uh, starting June 1st. might even be sooner in some spots. And Las Vegas Aviators have announced their plans. Uh, if you want to get out to the Las Vegas ballpark, uh, your opportunity will begin in May. Uh, May home games beginning May 6th for a long series against Sacramento, then May 20th against Salt Lake. Uh, starting the week of April 26th, season ticket holders will be able to pick some seats and buy them for reduced capacity games in May. Uh, individual game tickets will then go on sale. They will be limited on Monday, May 3rd, noon Pacific time, through Ticketmaster. Uh, Adam, it seems like they're going to open up the ballpark and go piecemeal here and kind of go slowly and not go all the way in with bringing in a full crowd out at the ballpark. We know they can have up to 10,000 out there. Um, interesting to me considering how eager the casinos and some businesses have been to get people, you know, open up the doors and bring them in, whereas the aviators are going to take this on, on the more cautious approach. Are you surprised at all? Uh, not necessarily surprised. Uh, you know, they've been waiting a long time to get back out there, and I know uh, that they're, you know, excited to have fans in the stadium, and it's very cool that it can happen, but there's no reason to, to push it, to rush it back. Uh, I, I think, you know, they're doing it the right way of trying to ease the way back in, but I know the demand is going to be high for tickets. Uh, oh people gosh, yes. just want to do things. Listen, that's a cool stadium anyway. They had good attendance uh, for that first year when they were in the ballpark. And I think it's going to be the same now. Uh, people just want to do anything. Uh, we know that there's some you know, sold-out events coming up at T-Mobile and Allegiant Stadium this summer. Uh, and just people are like, what can I do? What can I do? Where can I go? Is there a concert? Is there anything? Can I go somewhere? Uh, people are excited to get back out there. But it, it's probably not the best thing to just, to just turn, turn it loose and open the gates and say, whoever wants to come in can come in. Uh, seems like they're doing it the right way to me. Yeah, I agree. And for those of you who were dragging me earlier this week when I was talking about my reluctance to go to large events, to 60,000-person events at Allegiant Stadium, this is actually something I'm down with. Because oh, yeah. we're, out, we're outdoors. We're outdoors in the beautiful weather. It's going to be limited capacity. And I will say the SO lives, I'm not kidding, maybe a 500-step walk from that ballpark. The idea of being able to go out there in a safe manner with the reduced capacity, have a couple of beers um, and, you know, walk a slightly more zigzag path back home <laughs> than I did on the way there. Sounds quite nice. How good is, I mean, there's several spots to hang out there, but the bar in center field, it's oh, one man. of my favorite bars in Vegas. That's saying something. Huh? Yeah. I, I like it. There's, it's a long list. Uh, but <laughs> but I, lo I love that. I mean, first of all, it's, just, it's at the ballpark, which you know, even even to me, Cashman is a cool place. Like, I just love a baseball stadium. 
but we needed the upgrade, and we got it, certainly at uh, at the Las Vegas ballpark. But just to be in there is very cool. But to have a bar like that in center field, you can sit there. There's the pool there. You can watch the game. There's TVs with other games on, great beer on draft. It's just it's a very cool spot. I mean, there's a ton of spots there. I mean, the club level is really cool, too. Some of the suites are very cool. It's just a great spot. Not a bad, not a bad seat in the park, but that center field bar, that's my spot. Well, understand if you are out there, if you are not a season ticket holder, and if you want to get in, they are saying it is extremely limited capacity for May, for the two series in May. And that's not so much based on them being COVID cautious, just as the fact that season ticket holders are going to have first cut at these tickets and then for the general public they'll only be a little bit left over remember they've got a big season ticket base in the first place from the new stadium and so they have to service the season ticket holders first which is only right if you made the commitment to buy season tickets Uh, and then there will be more opportunities as the season goes along adam you mentioned of course ufc uh is coming back dana white has announced that there will be 20 grand in the t-mobile uh for (laughs) fight coming up whatever Whatever your opinion might be of that, uh, UFC does have a card going on this weekend. What can we expect? Yeah, and this is their last their last event at the Apex before they return to full venue shows. Next weekend in Jacksonville, uh, UFC pay-per-view with a full crowd, which is going to be nuts to see an indoor arena packed like that next week. Uh, you can just watch the transmissions take place live on television. Uh, between people it's gonna be awful and great all at the same time uh, to check that out but but yeah uh in vegas tomorrow first of all and it's a middleweight bout in the headliner robert whitaker former champion super quiet you know polite shy dude probably would have already had a title shot again had he been more vocal about it but he's just like i'm just gonna win fights and when they give me a shot they'll give me a shot and that's just kind of who he is uh fighting kelvin gaslam another guy who's a contender uh, interesting note about this fight is that they were supposed to fight when Whitaker was champion in 2018. Uh, Gaston was going to challenge him for the title. Whitaker actually had a medical emergency the day of the fight. He had uh, double surgery uh, on a uh, a couple of internal issues that he had, uh, which was just devastating to him. He was out for a long time after that as they tried to kind of piece together his intestines, which is awful. I'm sorry, what now? Yeah, it was gross. It was gross and awful and horrifying. Uh, I was trying to see the exact um, the exact uh, issues that he had uh, that they had to operate on. And it literally, he got a stomachache the morning of the fight, had it checked out by the doctors, and they're like, dude, we need to operate on this. This is craziness. Um, it was a dual surgery on an abdominal hernia of the intestine and a twisted and collapsed bowel. Oh, my lord, Adam. Yeah. yeah. Adam, I, I, I wouldn't. It's not that I would never fight again. I, I would never walk again. No, like, I would I, just stay I'd in bed. just be done. Yeah, I'd right. Be like, bad things can happen when you leave your bed. I'm right. staying in bed. Like I, I, that would just make me scared of the world. Yeah, like, it's like, awful. like I don't even know what happens genetically. I don't know what happens to. You. Is this a UFC specific injury? Did this man get twisted the wrong way? Like holy crap! Yeah, no pun intended. Yeah, like like I said, the morning of the fight is not like it happened in the fight, and luckily he felt it and went to the doctor because. He could have fought, <laughs> taken a body shot. I don't know. Oh, I'm no doctor. Man. Doesn't sound like that would have went well for him. 
Uh, but he did lose the title to Israel Asana. He's actually 12-1 and in his last 13 fights. The only loss was to Adesanya, the champion, uh, so he can get another shot at that title with a victory. Uh, you've also got some guys like Jeremy Stevens, who always is just a wild man. Uh, actually, Robert Whitaker said of Jeremy Stevens yesterday, and it made me laugh. Like Jer- Jeremy Stevens is just a brawler, just crazy. And Robert Whitaker said, I saw him changing his clothes, and he does that aggressively. <laughs> Which I was like, that's, <laughs> that's very funny. Uh, so Jeremy Stevens on that card as well. Uh, UFC event, not the greatest event you're ever going to see, but that is a pretty good main event between Whitaker and Gastelum. So I'm trying to think about this. I'm thinking this through. What, Don't think what too artic- much about it. What article of clothing would be the most aggressively changed? Like, like, do you think you just, like, you rip the shirt over your head? Is that like Hulk Hogan, like, ripping well, the shirt apart? No, I think it's different if you're, if you're changing. I would think socks could be. Like, you just, like, yank them on if you want to. Are you I, mad I at just, your socks? By the way, like, I just hurt my shoulder acting that out. It's oh, I, 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 I wish <laughs> there were days I wish this were television. This is one of them right there as he did that. I was like, showing you how to aggressively yank your socks on. And I think I threw my shoulder out. It really hurts. Right hey, hey, by the way, everybody, get down to the Golden Circle at the TI. If you want to check out live radio and the dangerous nature of it, Adam Hill just suffered in an intestinal bowel hernia <laughs> trying to show bowel. me what it's like in getting his uh, his socks on and off. How much pain do you think a twisted and collapsed bowel would cause? Are you, Dude. I feel like I eat the wrong combination of foods now that I'm a man in my 40s, and I feel like I have a collapsed, herniated bowel, and I'm like, oh, God, I, like, I can't even make it to the cabinet for the Rolaids. Like, this is awful. It can't be worse than my shoulder feels. <laughs> no, I, it, no I, I'm so sorry. Let's, let's, move, let's move on and no, talk about No, but I was also going to say, I think Oh, like you have hoodie. more? You have more? I think like a hoodie. Uh, yeah. You gotta, yeah, well, you gotta, like yank. Why did I do that again? You gotta yank your. You just like, did it again. Why did you do that? Why did you move your shoulder <laughs> again? What's wrong with you? Are you trying? Listen, I know you're working a lot right now, but are you trying to get like workers' comp? Like there is, there is not anyone in the. There's no HR department on earth that's gonna buy how you just hurt yourself. Are we recording this video? We're on video with each other right now. You saw it. Oh, there's no way Ari's backing you up. I got you covered. <laughs> oh wow! Look at that, uh, Ari in solidarity. All right. Well, not the only uh, not the only combat sports going on this weekend, and I use this term as loosely as it deserves. But of course, we've got the big spectacle fight, whatever you want to call it, between Jake Paul and Ben Askren. Uh, the odds vary depending on where you're looking. I'm looking right now at Jake Paul minus one seventy seven, Ben Askren plus one thirty, coming back. Um, at this point, what are we expecting out of this fight, this card, the whole circus? Uh, a circus. Okay. Like, I think that's totally fair. I mean, for those that haven't watched a Triller pay-per-view and don't know about this one, it is, it's a circus for sure. There's some fights. There's like an actual boxing match on there with like two potential champions that are fighting each other on the card. But then there's the weird YouTuber versus former... Bellator champion and, and Askren and Paul. There's like Frank Mir fighting an old fighter. <laughs> I heard about that. He was supposed oh to fight God. Antonio Tarver, and Antonio Tarver is like he can't get licensed. He's like seventy. Can't get out so of like bed. He's out. Yeah. So I think uh, Steve Cunningham. I think the guy's name is who hasn't fought in a while. Uh, he's going to fight Frank Mir. Frank Mir, of course, a great uh, submission artist in the UFC. Not much of a boxer. He's going to box professionally here. Ben Askren, maybe the worst striker in UFC history. And he's going to box, 
and they're they're you know they're trying to sell it. like Jake Paul is trying to sell it. I was on the press conference yesterday. He's like, you know, they said I couldn't beat a real fighter. Well, let's go. I'm going to fight one. You are fighting probably the worst striker I've seen in MMA. Um, so you should win if you if you seriously train all the time like you say you do. He should win. But I don't I don't know. Ben Askren is an Olympic level athlete. He I mean not Olympic level. He was in the Olympics. He's an Olympian uh, in wrestling. But this it's so weird. The whole thing is bizarre. There's all these musical performances, including I know Justin Bieber, one of your favorites, uh, on the on the musical docket. Uh, Snoop is going to perform and be a commentator on the fight. He's pulling double duty. Uh, are you a big Saweetie fan? I am familiar with Saweetie. Uh, Doja Cat, she's performing uh, yes. also. This wait a minute, hold on. This is turning out to be a far better concert card than it is a fight card. Oh, it's way better. Way better. Wow. Bieber, Snoop, E forty, Doja Cat, E forty. Yes. See, this is ridiculous because I was ho- I was completely ready to write this thing off, and now I'm like, well, I don't know for the music. Like, yeah, am I doing oh, for that? I'm in for the music, huh. and I want to see how this boxing match plays out. I, I want I want to say I don't care. I want to be that guy that's like, I really don't care what happens in this boxing match. I care. It's yeah. a YouTube guy against a, a, a UFC fighter who can't punch. That's interesting to me. Well, we've seen some fights on the ice that look quite like that, so I guess we'll have to talk to Darren Millard from the Vegas Golden Knights about just that. He's coming up on the other side here on Cofield & Company. Nova Home Loans brings you the three. It's a refi raid at Nova Home Loans. With interest rates at all-time lows, now's the time to talk to your local Nova loan officer. 877-700-NOVA. Now it's lifted to center. It misses the outstretched reach of Stone. Finds Pancheretti, though. Works in right. In the middle, they score! Mark Stone, and Vegas has a 5-2 lead. Hang in at the Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar inside Treasure Island. It's Cofield and Company. Oh, VGK fans hoping for a lot more of that this evening as the Golden Knights are in Anaheim continuing their week-long stretch in Southern California as they have a couple of games against the Ducks as they search for that top spot in the division. You can check out all of the action at the VGK Watch Party TI at the Golden Circle where Cofield and company comes to you today. Adam Candy, Adam Hill, and Ari back at the Finley Toyota Studios. And on the phone line, our good friend Darren Millard, host of the Vegas Golden Knights pre- and post-game shows on AT&T Sportsnet. Darren, I want to start going back to earlier on in the week with what was some of my favorite Golden Knights television that I've watched all year long. Your interview with Max Pacioretty, uh, where you were talking to him uh, following the 300th goal, talking to him about his relationship with his dad and and what it's been like for him as a father now. Man, I, I don't know you know how much you knew of what you were going to get in terms of the answers there from max but that was a really interesting segment to get some insight into max Pacioretty. yeah thank you it's uh, it's one of those ones and, and you've interviewed uh, thousands of people you guys and uh, sometimes the interview goes one direction and if you get an open door uh you like to, to follow it and and walk through it and Max, uh, Max opened up. They actually came from the fact that I that I brought up uh, Max playing on the on the left side on the power play, 
And uh, and he said, uh, well, my dad didn't like it. And we, we, we went down, they kind of had a chuckle about that and uh, and just uh, went through it. But it was uh, it was a reflective mat, uh, Max. It was, a, it was a humble Max. It was uh, a side of a professional athlete that, that in this day and age, with all these Zoom press conferences uh, and availabilities, that, that you just don't get an opportunity to kind of pursue. And, uh, and Max was very... Uh, cordial and open and uh, and uh, just welcoming uh, to to go down that path and yeah I didn't I didn't realize uh, some of the um, challenges that they they'd had from from just getting to, to games and then going down and playing competitively uh, in New Canaan and uh, it was it was fun I, I enjoyed it. it was it was one of those ones where you kind of forgot about what the game was all about uh, at that stage uh, and then also I was very happy that. Uh, that he actually had scored the 300th goal, and uh, that I didn't jinx him because I, I, uh, <laughs> I wasn't aware that he was actually thinking about that. <laughs> what, what do you, what do you do like do an interview like that? Not that, not that he was going to get you know mad at you for for probing anything like that. Like it was clear that he wanted to to kind of open up. But how how is it for you as somebody that has to be around the guys? Like it's not like you could if you push somebody too far and they get annoyed with you. Like you got to work with them again like the next week, the next day. Like you're around yeah. these guys, so. How, how much do you kind of you know kind of feel for how far somebody wants to go with an interview like that? Uh, for like a post game something uh, on that level, uh, I'm generally going to keep it really hockey focused uh, because just it's that's the environment. Uh, he's on a headset. I'm I'm in a restaurant. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm not going to get uh, I'm not going to push him on anything that's uh, <laughs> anybody in, in whether it's Chandler Stevenson, Max Pacioretty, or, or Nick Hag. Uh, I'm, I'm going to keep it uh, pretty focused. Here, here's the, the, the backstory. Kind of does start a day earlier, though. Uh, they played the uh, the afternoon game uh, on Sunday, and uh, I was uh, interviewing Max for the, what we call the arrival interview, the pregame interview. And uh, we, we were just delayed by maybe two or three minutes, so we had a chance just over the, the headsets to to have a conversation and just oh, like as much as you can hang out. Uh, uh, right, right now, so we, we kind of Max and I got a chance to catch up a little bit on Sunday before their game, and uh, and we were chatting about the potential of scoring his 300th goal that day, just off the record, and and and, and going back and forth, and and had some chuckles, and and then we we followed up when he scored the 300th goal. So the the, the groundwork for the conversation uh, was was in all honesty laid the day before by some some bad luck because we had to fill some time before the uh before we were ready to take the interview but good luck because i don't think you would have got that same reaction uh had we not had the opportunity to uh to shoot the breeze a little bit the day before kind of weird how it works out but uh but it it was yeah i I think that's one of those things that you referenced earlier darren that people um outside of the business don't understand how much of that relationship building and those informal moments that you have in a normal time when you can be around morning skate, when you can be in the locker room, when you can be at practice and get to chat with guys, whether it's in your role, whether it's for a print reporter like Adam, like that really is the groundwork for a lot of uh, the more interesting personal moments that you get to have with these guys. And it's just something that doesn't exist because of the necessities during the COVID era. Yeah, you you can't connect. You you can't talk to to anybody about uh, about their kids, about uh, what's going on at home with their parents, what's going on uh, with with school, uh, anything like that. Bumps and bruises. How are you feeling? Uh, uh, talk about you go to the. Like I guarantee you, uh, around the Masters, I would have been talking to a couple of guys just talking about golf, like just hanging out, 
and 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 uh, and chatting about uh, uh, if they've got a chance to hit any balls or or what they're watching or who they're expecting to win at the at, at Augusta. So that like there's there's that kind of thing where you have those uh, those little connections uh, with uh, Chandler Stevenson or or Mark Stone. So uh, yeah, we, we we don't have that now. Max Max and I are familiar with each other because of uh, our time in, in Canada. So that that helps out a little bit uh, in, in that regard. But like that's that's the first real conversation before that game on Sunday that I've had with him in in more than a year uh, because of just limitations between between what we're allowed to do and what they're allowed to do because of precautions. Darren, the uh, trade deadline came and went, and VGK did it? F- it did. Uh, VGK fans are used to big splashes at the trade yep. deadline. That didn't happen, but. Listen, a little addition to the team, and I thought the third line was buzzing the other day. It was, and you know that uh, that not making a big splash, I think, is is a compliment to the Golden Knights in where they are with their program and the maturity of this roster. You don't have to, and it's also a big compliment to Hag, uh, to uh, White Cloud, uh, to Coglin uh, that those three young players have come in and, and made it. Uh, uh, available for George McPhee and Kelly McCrimmon to, to go down a different path and, and add depth to the forwards instead of uh, on the blue line. So there was a couple of things at play. Uh, I love uh, Janmark. I just I, he, he, his his hockey sense and it was referenced a, a little bit today. Uh, what he did the other night and where he was and how he moved the puck and uh, and his support role. He chipped the puck out on the on the nose goal. I think he deserved uh, an assist on the play, but uh, the the linesman ruled that he didn't touch the puck. But he, and then he made a support play on the on the tuck goal. Uh, he was uh, in front of the net. He's, I, I liken it to he's always the first guy when they when the director cuts after a goalie makes a save or there's a goal, and they shoot that uh, that tight shot of the goalie or around the crease. You're always going to see Yanmark in that shot because he's always around the net. And uh, as much as his speed and his hockey sense are great, going to the net is something that this team really does need. Uh, and it gives them a diff- different look, and uh, I've been uh, I've been impressed from what I've seen from him in the past, and I'm excited uh, to see how excited Alex Tuck is to play with him too. Darren Millard, Vegas Golden Knights pre and post game host on AT and T Sportsnet, uh, joins us right now talking some Golden Knights. Darren, I want to get your take on what's happening right now in Vancouver. Uh, with the Canucks, because obviously we also saw the Avalanche go into a COVID pause today, yep. but nothing like what the Canucks have dealt with. And JT Miller speaking up and saying, "Hey, you know, we're, we weren't ready to get back on the ice uh, just yet." With everything that these players are dealing with in terms of not just the protocols that they've been dealing with since the bubble last year, but the realities of recovering from COVID and getting ready to play games, uh, what's your take overall on what's been going on in Vancouver the last couple of weeks? Very unfortunate, uh, and and the, the memo that came out from the National Hockey League reminding teams about protocols, uh, I think, uh, was using uh, Vancouver as an example. Like, this is what can happen if you don't uh, handle things right. Like, exposure is going to happen. We, we realize that, uh, and there's nothing you can do. But you can prevent exposure from leading to two players to five players to 20 players, which, uh, which we saw in Vancouver. So something, something didn't happen that was supposed to stop the spread uh, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a timely fashion. So, so that, that's one, one mistake. Um, I'll, 
I'm probably, uh, oh, I guarantee you that I am on the, uh, on the uh, minority side of this. Uh, I respect JT Miller's opinion um, and, and, and not wanting to play after one, one practice in a morning skate. The reality is they've, they've had 10 to 12 guys who have been skating all week. Uh, and JT Miller's been one of those guys because he had COVID before. Uh, and, and you, like, one thing it was one practice. Well, yeah, maybe it was going to be one practice with 20 guys, but you had a majority of your guys that were already back earlier in the week and were skating as the week went on. And, uh, and, and I'm with Connor McDavid who said, what's the difference between one practice, two practices, and three practices? You're going to be behind the eight ball. We've got to get the games in. If there's not anything like, uh, putting you at risk, well, that's that's what we're we're faced with this year, and, and we have to be fluid and we have to be able to to pivot. So uh, I I would like to have them played tonight. Uh, I'm not quite as uh, as sympathetic as uh, as others are, and uh, Minnesota played with five guys I'd never heard of when they came out of the COVID pause. <laughs> there wasn't there wasn't a lot of complaining there. I'm sure they weren't happy, but there wasn't a lot of complaining there, and it's just uh, uh, I think they. They made something bigger than it, than it needed to be. A nice played without coaches, so you know yeah, we've seen it happen. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. And, and and it's it's again it, it's families. I'm I'm sympathetic to to that and the players, but if you've got players available, uh, you, you don't get you don't get runway here. It, well, it's just reality. You don't get three or four practices. Well, real quick, we'll we'll let you get out of here. But how concerned are we that we're not going to be able to finish this season? I think uh, I think both. We'll finish the season. On, on time, I guess, is the... Sorry, Adam, you cut out there? I guess on time would be the question. I mean, they're going to finish yeah. the season. I don't yeah. think that's a question. but I think that's going to be uh, the biggest question mark. Like, we're going to use up that entire buffer week to start later, probably. I think I think that's going to be the case. Instead of the 11th, uh, are you going to be the, the 18th, 19th? I think we're probably going to be in that range. But uh, I am very optimistic that the National Hockey League will... will finish off its 56 game schedule and and there'll be there'll be some tighter restrictions there'll be some tighter protocols for the 16 teams that make the playoffs you can bet on that that uh that from what the national hockey league has seen right now uh that they'll be uh they'll be tightening things up and putting some uh further uh, protocols in place to to make sure that the playoffs go off uh uh without a hitch or as close to it uh moving forward not not a bubble but <laughs> I, I think uh I think people will be a little bit surprised uh, to see what's going to happen when the playoffs come around. We will be watching alongside you, and we will join you, of course, tonight as the Golden Knights take on the Anaheim Ducks, 7 o'clock start down in Orange County. Darren Millard, always generous with his time. Thanks very much for joining us, man. We'll talk to you soon. Where where are you guys today? Oh, we are. uh, Well, you know what? You are going to make our account executives very happy because we are down at the TI at the uh, Golden Circle for a Vegas Golden Knights watch party. I love it. It sounds like it's happening. I, I love hearing that vibe in the background. Yeah, some people are playing like a horse betting machine. Yeah. Uh, it's a, it's like a virtual horse race, and they were very excited that they hit. Giddy up. <laughs> Yippee-ki-yay, whatever they say in horse racing. Hey, all, uh, it's virtual <laughs> horse racing. Say whatever you want. It all fits. <laughs> Have fun, you guys. Thanks, thanks man. Uh, Darren Millard talking a little Vegas Golden Knights with us uh, on the other side of this break, the Fauci, the boy boy, and if you don't know what I mean, then you got to stay with us.
More of Cofield and Company is on the way, live at the Golden Circle Sports Bar inside TI. Now back to Cofield and Company, live at the Golden Circle Sports Book and Bar inside Treasure Island. Rolling along, Cofield and Company on your Friday. Adam Hill, Adam Candy, talking about Marshawn Lynch and Dr. Anthony Fauci, or as Marshawn dubbed him, Dr. Fauci. Uh, earlier, we heard some cuts from a half-hour interview that Marshawn did with Dr. Fauci. And, and as much as we joke around about uh, some of the lighter moments that were in that interview, the basis of the discussion they had goes back to the need for communities of color, communities who have been disadvantaged to not only choose to receive the vaccine, but to be given fair access uh, to the vaccine. Uh, There is a study from the Kaiser Family Foundation that came out recently, said that as of April 13th, the CDC reported that the race and ethnicity was known for just about 55% of people who had received one dose of the vaccine. Nearly two-thirds of that group white, 11% Hispanic, 9% black, 5% Asian. Um, that is not, of course, the representation of how sick people have gotten from COVID-19. Dr. Fauci and Marshawn talk in their interview about the fact that black, Hispanic communities in particular have been hit very hard and they're receiving smaller shares of the vaccine than is comparable to their share of cases and deaths. I'll use Arizona as an example here from the Kaiser Family Foundation. 13% of vaccinations have gone to Hispanic people while they account for 36% of cases, 31% of deaths, 32% of population. In Michigan, black people have received 8% of vaccinations while they make up 14% of cases, 23% of deaths, and 13% of the population and Marshawn Lynch addressed that disparity in talking to Dr. Fauci as they were starting to get into their conversation. Anytime we've been told that we was going to be in position to have something, you know, gave to us or put in our, in our community to help us, it seemed to turn out, you know, very bad for us. And then, I mean, it gets to the point where it's almost like, like it's a gamble where if I go and take this vaccination, uh, there's a chance that uh, you don't mind if I be myself, right? No. I'm okay. Well, then you know it's a <laughs> well. This it's a chance that I can, you know, come out of this situation more f-ed up than I went into it. Rather than you know by taking my chances and rolling the dice, you know, by by not getting it and going through, you know, the the the, the illness, the sickness, and you know, coming out whether because I have at this point in time I have more information of what can happen to me by if I if I catch this rather than I haven't seen enough of our people who took the vaccination to see whether they come out better or worse are we listening are are we as a community listening to what Marshawn is saying there because we get a good laugh out of the discussion of can I really be myself but that's Marshawn kind of going from the I'm taking the slightly more politically correct way, Adam, to then saying, no, let me tell you what I really think. And let me tell you what people in my community really think. I, first of all, was he not being himself before when he was like Fauci? He wasn't being himself? Dude, it, it, I know you haven't 
heard this entire interview yet, but we are only like 10 minutes he into goes, half an hour, and it gets deeper. He goes full Marshawn? Uh, Beast mode. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I think, listen, I'm glad that he's doing this, and I'm glad that he's addressing these issues because these are these are actual questions that are out there. These are um, you know, things that I have heard uh, from people that I know that I talk to. And so I, I think when you you've heard Doc, you've heard, excuse me, Fauci, Dr. Fauci, asked asked these questions before, but it's like I've heard like Anderson Cooper asking him these questions, and it just doesn't ring the same way, like from being asked in the like in the vernacular or in the way that it would be asked, like by somebody who is passionate about it, who cares about it, and who is you know skeptical in the in these ways. It, it just comes across differently. And so I'm really, really glad that this conversation is happening, but I'm also very, very entertained by it. I, and that really is the concept, right? That is the concept that not just people of color listening to this are going to hear the message, that pe- white people are going to hear this message too and hopefully understand it. Ari, before we get out of this segment, because I know we're going to be talking about this ongoing, Marshawn addressed pretty much what Adam said right there and i want to get to this one cut that we have next to explain that when you start talking about all these things and you know you just get your mind going it just puts your mind in a different place to you know with it being you know a pandemic with the the corona uh the coronavirus going on but you know you start to think about all of the diseases that really do affect uh black and browns and how we don't have you know cures for those or vaccinations for those but there's treatments which, at the end of the day, we're not able to sustain to be able to pay for those. And then it becomes a money play, and then it becomes, you know, this whole situation of, do they really give a f- about us? Do they really care about us? What's the real situation? We're going to talk much more about Marshawn Lynch and Dr. Anthony Fauci as we go on. Fauci. We're going to talk to someone who knows uh, Marshawn Lynch well here in just a moment as Paul Gutierrez Raiders reporter from ESPN joins us on Cofield and Company. Join the conversation on Twitter at Cofield and Co. It's Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas. Golden Circle at the TI for a Vegas Golden Knights watch party. Adam Candy, Adam Hill, Steve Cofield is out for the afternoon. Ari back at our Finley Toyota Studios and Paul Gutierrez on the phone lines joining us to talk not only Raiders and what's going on with the offseason workout situation, but if you follow Paul on Twitter, you know, of course, about his uh, great fandom for his alma mater at UNLV. So let's start right there with you, Paul. Uh, What do you think about what's going on with Kevin Kruger and the comings and goings from the program? Looks like they're starting to bring in some faces now to fill out the Rebel roster. Yeah, it's a different world, isn't it? I mean, I remember, I'm old enough to remember that when guys transferred out, they had to sit for a year, and if they transferred within the conference, they had to sit for two years, and, you know, we're in the era of COVID, so uh, everything, you know, the gloves are off, and guys are able to just kind of be free agents. So I'm kind of torn on it because, you know, I'm always for the player. I'm always going to root for the player to do what they need to do in their own best self-interest because they're not technically being paid. They are getting room and board and and, and education and everything like that, but it, it, it it pales in comparison to what, schools and conferences make off of the athletes backs too so it's interesting and 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 with kevin krueger being the coach that that's interesting to me too 
Um, you know, when it first happened, I was asked a lot. And really, the gif of Alonzo Mourning sitting on the bench where he's just shaking his head in dismay, <laughs> and then he kind of realizes, well, well, I guess. That's kind of how I felt at the time because I, I like the fact that Kevin Kruger did come to UNLV and he did take them to a Sweet 16 run, but I also am old enough to remember that uh, UNLV basketball did not begin and end with a Sweet 16 run. It actually began with uh, four trips to the Final Four and a national championship in 1990. So, um, different world, but here we are. So, I mean, the biggest thing, though, is is giving it time, right? I mean, it's been a while since they let somebody kind of grow into the job to, to find their footing. Uh, it's It's been like moving on to a new coach every three years. That's the key here, right, to just give them time to figure it out? Yeah, and, and you know, you and I both, are, Adam, are old enough to remember that, uh, you know, we've been waiting for a long time anyway. I mean, first, I've been waiting since 1992 when they forced Tark out. Um, you thought they had something going with Dave Rice. They messed that up by firing him midseason with really no cause and no plan. And then after that, they hired a bunch of guys that really didn't deserve or should have been hired in the first place. Huh. Uh, Tina Kunza Murphy kind of fell into Chris Beard, uh, but he was going to be gone at any point. So really, not only is it letting Kevin Kruger grow into the job and, and make things happen, um, but it's also getting somebody that actually physically wants to be there and does not look at it as a stepping stone. And I know, I know I sound like one of the old heads when I say, you know, UNLV uh, should be bigger than that and, and better than that, and, and it should be a destination rather than a stepping stone. But, you know, it is what it is. And it, it's, it's almost like Dr. Robert Maxson got his wish 30 years later that it's a mid-major school and it's got mid-major issues and mid-major problems. So uh, hopefully we'll see what, what Kevin Kruger can pull off here. Um, and, and it's interesting. I went back and pulled up some old clips I wrote about when he was playing for his dad. And uh, the one thing I do like and, and respect about it uh, the most probably is that he does have a respect for the tradition of the Rebel program. And, and you know, no shot to anybody in particular, but it, it's, it's, a, it's a relatively new media base that doesn't remember that. Uh, fans that uh, were running the program, so to speak, back in the day, they're all dying off. They're, they're, the money is gone. So let's just see how he can get this thing up and running again. Because if there's one thing that Dave Rice did that was absolutely positively true when he said UNLV transcends conference, it does and it should, but the results just have not been there. I mean, you glossed over it, but I, for one, remember fondly the Chris Beard era. <laughs> Every now and again, I'll tweet out that picture of his of his press conference, and we just kind of go from there. But, <laughs> yeah, maybe because I wasn't really paying much attention at that point because, uh, you know, Chris Beard was, what, the, the fifth choice? And Marvin Menzies was the sixth choice? Uh, you know, it was just a bizarre, bizarre time. And, um, you know, the wish list looked pretty good at the time. But shoot, I mean, we're both old enough to remember when uh, Mrs. Patino was left at the airport too. So there you go. Hey, man, uh, my the very first day that I set foot in Las Vegas was in the summer of 1989, and so Ooh. I began with the greatness, and it was kind of like a bait and switch. Like I got, oh wow, I, this is what ba- basketball is like in Las Vegas, and then yeah. all of a sudden. <laughs> it's been a yeah, little you different. Yeah, uh, you showed since. up in 89, summer of 89 with the fingers for Larry Johnson, right? Yeah, that was the recruiting tool. Give <laughs> <laughs> him his butterfingers. You know, man, uh, I, was, I was about as easy as they could get. You get a 10-year-old kid in there, nobody suspects him. Nobody thinks yeah. that he's going to be the guy. Uh, yeah, Paul, exactly. Paul, we, um, we've been tracking, obviously, not only the Raiders, but the evolving situation with the Players Association and – now up to 10 teams that have opted out of the workouts coming up here, at least the in-person version of the workouts. And you've been covering the story for, for quite a while. And, and also yep. the aspect that we really haven't gotten into on our show today 
is the workout bonuses that are in the contracts of so many of the Raiders in particular. How does that factor into who might be there, who might not be there? Yeah, it's interesting because when you read between the lines of the the statement that the Raiders put out through the Players Association, it it basically said we're just going to stand in unity with our brothers and we're not going to show up. But we do have some guys who make some some pretty good change in their in their workout bonuses, so they can go ahead and do what they need to do. It, you know, and again, I'm old enough to remember the '87 NFL player strike when Jack Del Rio was socking up guys that were crossing the picket line and and things like that. It's almost like they're given they're taking a stance, but they're going to let guys that that can make some money cross that line, and they're not going to have an issue with it. And, and you know, I, I talked to a source, and it's, that's exactly what it says. So I had our people at ESPN Sports and Information look at some contracts. And with the Raiders, they've got nine games that nine guys that have workout bonuses uh, this year. Derek Carr is one of them, one hundred thousand. Uh, Jeff Heath, one hundred thousand. Darren Waller, two fifty. Jalen Richard, one twenty-five. Kwiatkowski and, and Littleton, two fifty apiece. Carl Nassib, two fifty. Nathan Peterman, twenty-five grand. Uh, Denzel Good, four hundred and eighty thousand. So you combine all of those numbers together, the Raiders actually rank seventh in the NFL in terms of the highest aggregate total of workout bonuses on current contracts with a combined $1.83 million. Uh, the Packers are at the top with over $5 million. So it, it's interesting that it, it, they draw the line in the sand. I go, okay, well, you guys go ahead and do what you need to do. And it just kind of sets up a disjointed offseason in a, in a disjointed offseason already. Well, and it goes one step further. I mean, it, it's so intriguing that, that they would allow this break to kind of happen and, and this kind of division to happen. But let's say, for example, two or three teams say they are going to go show up. Like, how does that change the equation? And even more specifically, like you mentioned some guys with the Raiders. So Jeff Heath gets a workout bonus, and the players are like, hey, go ahead, you're going to get your bonus. Go in there, be at the facility, work out. If I'm like Carl Joseph competing for a job with him, I'm like, right. uh, yeah, he's not going to be there and I'm not. Yeah, and, and, and that's that. It, that's why it reminds me of the strike. I mean, when you know, I remember doing a story with, with Tom Flores. That was his last year coaching the Raiders when they, when they were in L.A. in '87. And he said basically that strike killed that team because he had to basically run three different training camps. He had to run the training camp that was normal. He had to run a training camp for the the replacement guys that came in. Then he had to run another basic training camp when when the stars started crossing the line from the Howie Longs to to the you know Mark Wilson crossing. Marcus Allen, all those guys were crossing, and, and it just it kind of disintegrated the, the, the facade or, or the front that they were all together. So it, it's got that weird sense that it could potentially blow up in their faces. ESPN Raiders reporter Paul Gutierrez joining us here on Cofield & Company. Uh, Paul, in, I'm curious from your perspective in terms of the areas that the Raiders made the biggest changes this year and how much they need continuity and the continuity that I don't know can it be done in person can it not be done in person when we start looking at an area like the offensive line that is being so significantly rebuilt uh, this year for the Raiders do you think the virtual versus in person makes a big difference I I think when you talk to John Gruden and Mike Mayoff absolutely it does because that's that's what they want to do they want to get their hands on these guys they want to teach them and then you look at not only the offensive line but the defense in general, because you got a new defensive coordinator with a new scheme. So how are those guys going to learn a new scheme if they're not in the building or if they're just doing it virtually and things like that? I, I think there are numbers that show that injuries were down a little bit because of the lack of, of uh, hitting in the offseason, so to speak. But, but I also think there were certain injuries that went up because the body wasn't 
used to the hitting, and they ramped it up a little too quick during training camp. So it's, you know, half a dozen in one hand, uh, uh, you know, six in the other, and you try and figure it out as you go along. I, I do know, though, that, that uh, you know, if, if John Gruden and Mike Mayock had their druthers, these guys would all be in there. And yet it's voluntary for a reason, right? Yeah. Uh, it's going to be crazy to, to try to monitor this. Uh, what did you make this week of, of all the changes that have been going on? And all of a sudden you think, like, oh, the roster is kind of getting closer to being set. And then Arden Key and Mo Hurst gone. Arden Key didn't surprise me. Uh, Mo Hurst a little bit. I thought they'd at least bring him in to compete. Uh, they did bring in a slew of defensive tackles. Um, and you look at you look at, at Mo's production. It's gone down sack wise anyway in his three years there. Uh, you know, this is a guy that had potentially uh, you know first round talent when he came out, and then there was that heart issue that never really came to to fruition, and, and he slipped down to the fifth round for the Raiders. Um, yeah, that's the one that surprised me. Arden Key. I was actually more surprised he wasn't cut the day after he grabbed Fitzpatrick's face mask and ripped him down to the ground in that play against Miami. That's when I thought he would have been cut at that point, uh, knowing how John Gruden really hated that play. But, uh, yeah, that, that's the one that, that surprised me a little bit. And maybe they were just like, you know what, it, it's just we, we brought in enough guys. Let's just go and, and revamp this, this system. Because, again, remember, they're changing the entire defensive system. And um, maybe they just looked at him and said, hey, he doesn't really fit what we want to do. Let's, let's let him go out and find a new job sooner rather than later. Paul, do you get any sense that, you know, now that we're you know, four years in with Gruden, three years in with Mayock, uh, it's been a mixed bag in terms of the results from the draft. Do you think that there has been any change in how, their process of how they approach how they're looking at the draft, their evaluation? Uh, do you sense that there's been any adjustment or, or learning process there? Well, of course. They're, they're going to learn things as they go along, right? And, and, and that you can't really fairly accurately judge a draft until, what, three years in, four years in maybe? And, well, you're looking at Cruton's first draft in 2018, and he's only got basically, I think, two guys that are still on the roster from that 2018 draft. So that would tell you something there that they learned, hey, we didn't do so well, so what do we have to do from here? Um, you know, and it just goes back. That, that do they, When they look at a draft board, do they go uh, best player available, or do they try to address a, a real and specific need? And as I was always told many years ago when I started covering the NFL, if you're drafting in the top ten, which the Raiders are not this year, but if you're drafting in the top ten, you don't have that luxury of drafting uh, for need. Because if you're in the top ten, you got needs all over the place, so you just take what you can get. The Raiders are in a strange position at 17 because, yeah, they got an immediate need at right tackle. They've got an immediate need at free safety. But, again, in the secondary, you got a bunch of young dudes back there you really want to add another young dude back there, or do you need a veteran? Carl Joseph? Okay. Uh, I'm still waiting for that Richard Sherman thing to come in, though. Uh, it is. We still have a long way to go. There's still moves to be made, both in you know guys that are available, guys that potentially get cut to become available, a draft ahead. Uh, but as we said today on April 16th, are they better than they were at the end of last season? Ooh, that's a tough question. Um I don't know if you can say they are because they, they blew up so many so many things, key units, especially the offensive line. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know if you can say they're better. Uh, I think it's a work in, pro, in progress. I think uh, they, they've got to show that they, they know what they were doing with that offensive line. They, they made a huge investment in that offensive line, and it didn't really pay off. I mean, that, that bonded line that they had projected with, with Colton Miller, Richie Incognito, Rodney Hudson, Gabe Jackson, and... And Trent Brown, they played a grand total of three snaps together last year, uh, you know, and that's mostly because of Trent Brown's issues. But uh, you know, so I, I don't know. You know, Denzel Good, that's a nice re-signing, and, and but where does he play? 
To answer your question, no, I don't think they're better right now because we just don't know. That we do not, and the draft will obviously give us a few more answers coming up here in about a week and a half. Paul Gutierrez covers the Raiders for ESPN. You can find him on Twitter at PGutierrezESPN, of course, at ESPN.com. We appreciate the time, man. Thanks very much. Guys, my pleasure. And do me a favor. Stop uh, DMing Caleb Grill, all right? Because that's just not cool what you guys are doing. (laughs) (laughs) Our bad. Yes, clearly us. We apologize. Uh, Paul Gutierrez covers the Raiders, and we always appreciate when he gives us a little bit of his time. And, of course, football doesn't stop. It never stops. 365 days a year, the football frenzy's on the way. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas.